Hello again, this is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. We got the attorney legal edition here today, Johnny. We do. We're talking with uh, Daniel Gershberg, partner at Romer DeVos. That's right. right. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for thanks joining for, us. Uh, thanks for having me, John. And we're hopefully going to get some interesting nuggets about, from you know, from a different perspective about what's happening in the markets and what kind of things we can do about it from yeah. a deal perspective. And right? Daniel, I mean, usually we have agents on here, top agents talking mm -hmm. about what's going on. And the main focus really is is that people are confused, right? There's a lot of crazy things going on that's impacting today's markets. Um, and they don't know what's happening. So hearing it from different people on a consistent basis, I think, starts to clarify that a lot. And that's our, our goal here at Talking Manhattan. So with that said, what do you see on the legal front? Yeah, it's wild. Uh, the entire market's kind of crazy. And again, I'm giving in, and we talked mm -hmm. about this, I'm giving you sort of my anecdotal take in terms of what I'm seeing from my clients as well. But, you know, from talking to other attorneys and, and brokers that I work with, there's a shared sense of no one can really... Um, understand what's happening right now or predict what's going to happen. Right. And that doesn't make it unhealthy at all. It just probably makes it a very, di very different landscape within which to, to practice. Yeah. I think so, that, I mean, I think the spreads are really wide right now. I think, yeah, bid, you got to ask right now. And, and, and brokers are just trying to get these two together and they can't. And it's really uncertainty, right? It's loss aversion, right? And, yeah. and so that's one of the key things that people have to realize about sellers. And so I always talk to brokers and they always say, you know, sellers have to come down to reality. And it's incredibly tough to ask someone to do that when their neighbor sold a year ago or two years ago and made $600,000, right. and now you're asking them to make 400000 In their minds, it's not as if they're making $400,000. It's that they're losing an additional yeah. $200,000 when it wasn't really there. Right. And so how do you counter that? Well, you counter that by giving sort of them reality in the way in which they can digest that. Simply saying the market's changed is not good enough because they can go to another broker and some other broker just to get the listing will say, no, they're, they're crazy. Right. And that place sits, which is what I'm seeing on, on my end as well. Right. But we have, we have all right, so, so I, we talk about this often, John. We talk about the policy-driven um, right. nature of, of the reset. I mean, do you tend to agree with that? Is this a cyclical downturn or is there something deeper going on? There's always cyclical downturns. I mean, it's always going to swing back and forth. And I think we've had an enormously good run over the past, what, five, six more years or so yeah. in the real estate marketplace. And so what you usually have in situations like this is a combination of things, right? Good product is sold. People have made a, a good amount of profit. They like where they live, et cetera, and they want this to continue. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, it cannot continue, right, until at some point, at which point it goes back to, let's say, a, a more normal standard of increases year over year. From the policy perspective, you have a legislature, both in the city and the state, which is basically saying, wait a second, the city is becoming more and more unaffordable. I'm not taking a political position on this, mm -hmm. at least on camera at all. Um, <laughs> but what I will say is that this is not going away. So yeah. you have these new rent regulations and new rent yeah. guidelines that came out um, in June. The misnomer about these is that it's all about rent-stabilized units. There's a huge portion of it that is rent-stabilized. There's a massive portion that deals with fair market rentals at this mm -hmm. stage, right? And how does that affect right. an investor that's coming into the marketplace right. um, looking to buy a three-family, looking to buy a condo to rent out, what they can and can't do? Yeah. You're going to have, and I don't think people have been educated enough about this, you're going to have a sizable shift in the marketplace in terms of landlords having to be proactive, Right, so you can't just be on a beach in Boca where you just bought three units in the condo and you're renting them out and counting right. the money mm -hmm. anymore. You have to be proactive in dealing with tenants per the law, right. and that's going to really change the way the metrics of buying a place are yep. viewed. What is it worth to you, right, right, at that stage? How much money do you have to make off of this investment to make it worth your while? It's no longer this no headache thing. I'll just send them a lease, you know, when the lease is up, or I'll kick them out. There's a lot of different requirements. 
you you're hearing about Peter Terre taxes that are coming down the pipe, right. a mansion mm-hmm. tax that's changed. I see my own personal opinion is that I don't think that will impact things nearly as much as the rent regulations are going to impact. Right. And the rent regulations, so everybody knows, sorry, John. Um, So if I'm an owner, if I'm an, well, I'm an investor and I'm going to buy a multifamily unit and and potentially rent this thing out. So number one, I, 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 I can't renovate this thing and raise rents. Right, that's number one. Number two, I can't collect security deposits. Right, is that number two? So just just to we, we can cut this in a little bit the, from the rent stabilized standpoint. If you're buying a place with rent stabilized tenants, let's say you're buying a six family or an mm-hmm. eight family, and you got rent stabilized tenants, you used mm-hmm. to be able to uh, do things like renovate the place itself and then increase your rents. And sometimes you'd increase your rents and get them to something called market value, right? Where they would become deregulated, right? Or if the people left for whatever reason, you'd be able to get something called a vacancy bonus, where you're just trying. To increase that right. rent year over year until you get to a point in which you say, "Look, you know, and, it's, it's." And that has been the playbook for the last right fifty years for a long. That was the name of the game. Time, yeah. And so you're saying that's no completely changed. No months. No months. So in in this new version, and and I have, and I'm happy to send. I, I have literally a PDF with the top ten things that brokers should do, landlords should do, etc. And and the changes in the law. We can so include it on this yeah, post. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So just to sort of summarize it, if you do work on the building. Right or on an individual unit, what you can actually increase the rent by is almost insignificant compared to the work that you're going to do. So it doesn't make sense to do work anymore. Um, You're not going to get vacancy bonuses anymore. If you go into court, if a tenant goes into court and say, this guy or this woman is harassing me as a Mm -hmm. landlord, you are dealing with the most tenant-friendly jurisdiction, um, perhaps in the country. Right. Right. So you have to put that into your equation as to whether or not it makes sense to do these deals on rent stabilized units. Do you right? think brokers are underestimating the impact this is having on the investor community? Or do you think they, they get it, they just, you know... Well, I just... don't even know if the investor community has, has really had a chance to absorb this. Right. And I... understand, come up with a new idea of what value means. Right. I think that the paradigm shift is that you can no longer trust the opinion of someone else to say... This is what you can expect year right. over year on returns. Now it's what can you do legally, right, yeah. to get someone out, to mm-hmm. keep someone in, and what do you do with security? So to your point, you only get a month of security deposit, right? Right. You can't you can't ask for more. You can't yeah. ask for two months. You can't ask for pet deposits. You can't ask for any of these things. And just so people understand, I mean, imagine you're a landlord and you own a place and you're trying to rent something out, and you have someone that's willing to pay your rent, but they have less than stellar credit or they have other risks that, that are mm-hmm. there. You used to be able to collect, all right, right. maybe three months or a, six months or a year, just, just in case you default on your I am protected. Right. Can't do that no more. Right. You can't. And and people are looking for workarounds as they would with any law and they're saying, look, maybe we can put some money in escrow and, and lawyers differ by the way. There's some lawyers that say that, you know, you may be able to do that. Right. You find out if you get sued. Right. At the end exactly. of the day I've been practicing for thirteen years, you really find out what happens when someone sues you and you see what the court actually says. Right. I am risk averse. I tell my clients that I represent I represent first time buyers, sellers, foreign investors, etc what these new rules are and what will likely happen. So you have this like risk distribution of what could happen, right? right. And I say this is what will most likely occur and this is how you have to play that into your equation right. as to whether or not it makes sense. And let's just talk about so someone of you know we talked about what the playbook was and let's just talk about why this is so confusing is because for the longest time the playbook was exactly what you say. Let's just talk about multifamily. You buy it, you renovate the units, you get them to market rate, you're golden. Yeah. Right? And for the longest time the regulations, the legislation was sort of going hand in hand with that. It was it was very difficult to um, um, it was very difficult for tenants to sort of lodge sustained actions against landlords. Yeah. Uh, it was much easier for landlords to get people out. They maintained a blacklist. You know some of these things, which you know you look back in hindsight, maybe that was not the best idea. 
and that pendulum shifted overnight. Yeah, extremely. Yeah. I mean, shifted. it was a, it was like sort of a forty-year swinging up, and then it just overnight crashed right back right. down. And I think that that comes in in part with other things that have happened. Right, land costs have become more expensive because people want to yeah. live in places that. Other people didn't want to live in for a, a period of time. Yeah. And so when that comes into play, you have almost a seismic shift of whether or not there's going to be development in the community that there would have been development on, let's say, a year ago. Right. Because they could, I don't want to say kick people out, but they could do buyouts, they could do these, these sort of different things mm-hmm. that would allow them at the sort of end of this rainbow to find the pot of investment gold. Right. right. You can't really do that anymore. And so you're stuck with Let me ask, so you're, you're from Brooklyn originally, right? So you, you know, Born you're, and raised. I, I lost go. the accent specifically to sign up clients, but <laughs> All right. I, yeah. well, when I'll, I get I'll, pizza, I'll vouch I for you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, I mean, you've seen this uh, sort of in your own, in your hometown neighborhood kind of going forward. And I imagine there's a lot of, I don't know if you've worked on any deals in which investors have been sort of caught off guard or not necessarily caught off guard, but sort of looking at deals with a new pair of eyes that you've had to sort of kind of help either kill the deal or shepherd through to get it closed. Deals are just dying. When it comes to these, and it's a small segment of it, and there's again with a cycle, there's going to be people that are going to try and make this work somehow, yeah. right? And you're not going to be able to 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 do that. Yeah, we can cut that. Well, I mean, I'm looking I'm looking at the townhouse sector, and and everything I see here is very weak. I mean, the market pulse is at 0.13, which is the weakest out of all sectors. Um, pending sales is down 17 percent. Median sales price down 47 percent from the last year. There's only been 12 sales in the last month. That's down 14 percent. Um, taking about 120 days. I mean, it's just a it's just a beaten down sector. Yeah. What about new developments? I mean, new developments are having serious issues. I and mean, that's that's the next beaten down sector. Yeah. All right. right. So let's that's talk a about special. Well, the developer, the sponsor, is a very special class of investor. Let me ask you something. I'm going down downtown Brooklyn, yeah. right? And I'm choosing between two condo developments, right? Mm-hmm. Huge condo developments. One has a tax abatement. One does not. Why am I buying the one that doesn't have a tax abatement? Well, right. I mean, as long I guess the logic would be is that the pricing goes down to a certain level where, where it makes sense. Right. I mean, originally the, the tax abatement was supposed to be not not a reason for developers to just jack up that price. Somewhere around 2005, 2006, 2007, they started using that tax abatement. It, should, it was supposed to be a bonus mm-hmm. to the buyers, right? But it became something as well. You can afford an extra three hundred thousand dollars in mortgage now that you don't have this monthly expense. Right. So it was just a ticking time bomb. It was a ticking yeah. time bomb, and it's it's come to fruition as and again a lot of these people didn't care that's not good yeah. nor bad yeah they want to move their units and they did but as a buyer as an end buyer if i'm looking at new developments and this one's a thousand square feet two bedroom and this was a thousand square two uh, square right, foot right. two bedroom one, yeah, and they yeah. both have like golf simulators and there's random chefs that come into my kitchen half yeah. the time yeah where am i putting my kids stuff right where are their closets right and i think a lot of it like people tend to focus on the outside market of what the financials are in these things, what's going on. What about the livability of a lot of these places? Right. Like how do you get people to trains and mass transportation? I think a lot of new developments that have been popping up everywhere mm-hmm. are honestly on the back burner and you know behind the scenes having significant. What was issues. the market like when those came on? I mean, because those those buildings were five, six years ago, some four, five, six years yeah. ago. It, it it was planned and and that market was completely different. The policies didn't change yet. I mean, no. it was a seller's market. There was no inventory. 2013, 2014, 2015, if you were a developer that was planning in those years, it just got destroyed. You completely got destroyed. And But yeah. like, you, you don't know what the future is going to hold. So if you know, and again, a lot of this, like people look for reasons for this. I tend to think it's all human psychology. Inefficiencies in the market, you could have an Excel spreadsheet that tells you the next 20 years of financials, but it's based on nothing. You have inefficiencies in the market because people 
are missing out on certain things, the fear of missing out. So you have a developer that, that puts something up next door and you're a developer, you go, screw that, this guy's making a ton of money. I'm gonna build this up. There's, you know, there's a lot of absorption rate that can go into a specific neighborhood. Yeah. And at a certain point, like it's musical chairs. We saw right. this happen before. We probably won't see it happen to the extent that it did before. But the problem is the product just as much as it is anything else. And buyers, by the way, mm-hmm versus five years ago are way more intelligent yeah so they're online all the time they have sites like yours and, and, and a bunch of different sites that can sort of say what's the actual price per square foot i should be paying for right. this? how many units have sold in this place why would i go into this what are my timelines yeah, transparency is a good thing i mean the market gets more efficient when things get transparent if everyone's on the same level i mean there should be no no question in terms of what the price is what yeah. as a developer what are you selling and how are you selling it Right, so on every single one of my deals, I'm getting all closing costs taken care of by the mm-hmm. developers. That's what I wanted to go into. So, so there's what I'm hearing is that there's a, 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 a piece of negotiation for the price, and then there's the concessions. Yeah, there's yeah. concessions, and a lot of times the developers won't go, want to go lower on price because they don't want to show that the prices are dropping. So, yeah. I think that can only happen for a period of time. Look, a lot of these guys have loans underlying right. their product themselves. They have to pay off these loans. Right. What you may get are the loans being paid off, and then a huge dip in the prices, right? Because they want the inventory sold. The developers want to get out of these places and if buyers even hint at this they're going to try and catch that falling knife and i don't want to be apocalyptic about it i'm not i'm not trying to be but it's just a market being more efficient than it was before. right so so these closing costs that are being waived and in some cases by the sponsor are these are these things that the buyer's broker was negotiating for yeah or are these things that kind of came up when you're doing the due diligence and sort of drafting the contract. The buyer's broker is almost always going to negotiate the closing costs themselves and sort of say, look, sponsor, we're not going to pay your transfer taxes. And by the way, we want a free parking spot. Right. Uh, and by the way, we want a free storage unit. And by the way, we want you to pay the mansion tax or whatever it is. And the sponsor has a ticking time bomb on their hands not to be dramatic because they have to pay off loans. Right. Right. And so they're, whereas before they're saying no, 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 no. Right. And you literally, I kid you not, five years ago, had a couple days to go into contract and do the due diligence. Now, two weeks, week and a half, three weeks sometimes. You know, Shlomi Ravine is echoing what you were saying. And, yeah. and he, we asked him is, is what kind of deals are happening. And he's like, well, wait a minute. Is there, is there a buyer broker or is there no broker? And right. he's like, well, they have smart brokers negotiating a great well, deal right now. And, yeah. and if you don't have a smart broker, then quite frankly, I, I could see that. Sponsors and I'm going to negotiate it differently. This is one yeah. of the best times to be an incredibly well-educated broker. Right, that doesn't just go based on feelings or anything else. I see this. Like I work with an assortment of different brokers, and there's a certain um, contingent of those brokers that just know their numbers down pat. They just can communicate certain things to people, so they understand that there's trust that's built there. And those brokers are going to do incredibly well in yeah. the next few years, I think, because of where the market is. There's going to be another subset that it's going to be more shaky for, and it's going to be difficult for. But like, know your numbers. I would. If I, if I did this differently and didn't go into hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of law school debt, if I became a broker, I would spend my entire day just getting educated on specific subsections of a market. How's new development doing in Fort Greene? Right. How are Hudson Yards doing? What can I possibly do? What yeah. am I seeing? Yeah, a lot right? of top agents say this. Yeah. Right. And you have to know the product inside out. The minute you are meeting with a client and say, and the client asks you, like, what do you think about the Upper East Side? Yeah. Right, because they don't know. They have no idea. They're looking at the Upper East Side because maybe their grandma lived there, mm-hmm. or maybe they want to live there because there's good schools or whatever it is. If that broker knows the Upper East Side and says, "Look, this building, I know a few people that have bought in this building. The construction materials are actually quite good as opposed to what we're seeing here, right. and they think they're going to be good. Yeah. Maintenance has been stable for a period of time. Right? Yeah, you have." Way more of a chance of creating trust with that client. I think that I think a lot of I, th- I think a lot of brokers are are 
trying to figure out how to get new business as opposed to educating themselves on um, certain sectors or niches of the of the market yeah. um, because they don't see the one-to-one -one real I, I mean I agree with you 100 yeah. percent you got it you got to know your stuff and you got to know certain sectors you got to be an expert in what you're an expert in um, I think a lot of agents are just struggling right now I really do I think this totally. is a, this has been a tough market see we're down like anyone that's listening to this and hearing this apocalyptic kind of talk it's not like this has not happened this has happened anyone that looks at the last all right, Q3 mm -hmm. market report showed us down 20 something percent. All the headlines said Manhattan sales finally get hit. Everyone was like, all right, the market finally went down. Meanwhile, the brokers that know what's going on is like, what are you, what are you talking? We've been going down for four years now. Yeah. We are down. We're just at the bottom. And if somebody asked me how much we're down from the last year, I would say like two or three percent. Yeah. We're just kind of bumbling. Do you agree right. with that? I, I would agree as well. Yeah, I mean, what, one, yeah, I'm, yeah, you were going to say something. No, I was going to say, you know, one of the confusing things about this market is it's a, very, it's a very fractal market. And as you start slicing and dicing, as you get to like a smaller, smaller little bit, it does resemble the larger one. But you can look and say under two million co-ops. Are actually doing quite well. Yeah, if you've West got Side's deals, well. if you've got renovation, yeah. you're doing well. It doesn't matter what market you're in. I will say this also, and it's something that we, we discussed off camera for a second. I think that the sentiment that we're looking at to a certain extent may be partially incorrect. And so, what I mean by that is, you always have these numbers that say what happened last year, what happened right. two years ago, versus what happened today. Why is that pertinent? In other words, on my sort of framework and in the way I think is. How do we know, and we don't, how do we know how many people would have bought, right. but they didn't buy because the market's so bad, right? Or, or, they or policy the changes. So yeah. Or policy changes. How do we know how many sellers have not entered the market because they think that the price is, is going It's very so interesting. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah. And so if we, you know, we have one of the charts, it's um, off-market. And so one of the great things about off-market is it's really a barometer of how well the market is. And you can see off-market when the first one, after the Lehman crisis, 2008, 2009, that spiked right up. Yeah. And the market was yeah. cratering. I mean... What sellers off want market nothing means sellers want nothing. They're pulling their listings off the market. So that's a great indication of yeah. you know it's sort of the opposite way of looking at it. But yeah. something was happening in the market here. Exactly. We have no indications. Stock markets are an all-time high. Right. But it's a what's wonderful happening? point, by the way. So it is cheaper, and and I'm going through the same thing, sort of looking at things to buy and just shaking my fist in the sky, yeah. um, and and not buying anything. It is cheaper. I mean, interest rates are insanely cheap right now. Right. Right. Lower than they've ever been. They're close to to the numbers that they've uh, right. that they've ever been. Um, and the economy's going great. Right. We have basically full employment. Stock market's going fantastically well. All of these things seem, and we have inventory. Right. Yeah, All of yeah. these things seem to be suggesting that our numbers should be better than 2018 and 2017. Yeah. Not the same. And the narrative becomes like, oh, everything is okay. We're doing the yeah. same numbers. Capital controls out of China. Yep. Yeah. Strong U.S. dollar. Yeah. Salt deductions, mansion tax. Yeah. Rent regulations. Yeah. Pied de terre they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And this is this is why this market's doing what it's doing. And I think the the, yeah. the buyers slash the bids, the investors, they're just they're absorbing it. It took right. years for the salt deductions. We yeah, everyone the salt deductions happened, John. Right. Like, salt deductions happened. And everyone's two months later. They're like, what's the effect? Right. And we're like, ah, it's going to take a year or two. And now you're starting to see all yeah. of this right now that we're seeing, that's the effect. Well, this is why what I talk about when I talk about a fractal market. So if you look at the market in 2014, 2015, should you buy? The answer is like, yes, you should buy yeah. because it's going to be more expensive tomorrow. So Correct. get in there, put your cash down, best and final, go over the ass, get it done. Mm -hmm. Today, the question is not, and that was a broad stroke for everybody. It's now it's it's an individual question. You have to ask yourself individually, does it make sense for me to buy well, in my specific situation? I mean, look yeah. at your situation. Yeah. You're, so making, you're, you're making an argument that it's cheaper to rent? Oh, it's it, not only is it cheaper to rent, it just makes more sense to rent, right? In terms of any kind of tax deductibility or anything else. Right. And you could you could play with the numbers a little bit, but like, why why am I buying now? And this is only me. There's plenty of people that yeah. are buying. Right. Why am I buying now, tying up 
right? Be essentially becoming illiquid yeah. for a certain respect, tying up my down payment, which is doing fantastically well in the stock market. It's not just me, it's everywhere else, right? And essentially buying it at a time where I don't know where this market's gonna shift, right? Yeah. Yeah. I can rent for comparatively the same amount of money, and if I'm doing an interest-only loan when I'm buying, I'm yeah. Yeah. Really and this is Brian Morgan type of thinking, and his, and his, his logic is, listen, it's cheaper to rent. It's yeah. cheaper right now, it makes more sense to rent, and until either prices come down or the rents go up, one of those things, at some point it will happen, and then it makes more sense to buy. In my yeah. anecdotal sense, and people will agree left and right, I think prices, look, if you look at every single variable, right, and we, we just highlighted it, the economy's going great, everything's fine, prices have to come down, and when you talk about 5% or 8% yeah. or whatever it is, that's not, for many people who don't have the down payment funds that they need, right. that's not enough, right? right? It's got to come down and sellers have to realize that that's the case. And it will, it will let happen. Me, yeah. Let me just, I just want to shift topic here, um, kind of shifting into sort of like broker education mode. I'd like to talk about deals. What's killing deals? Yeah. What can be done to save deals? Everything. And funny stories, please. So What's I, screwing up deals right yeah. now? Good one. It is taking an inordinate amount of time to get uh, due diligence done on a lot of these buildings um, because questionnaires are coming back very late from a lot of managing agents. We can't get minutes uh, on some things. And frankly, buyers, to be perfectly honest with you, are in no rush. Yeah. So I can get a contract out. When I represent a seller, I get a contract out that same day, if not within the next sort of few hours of getting retained, right? But a buyer will just sit because they know what the market is, right? And so a buyer will do an inspection on co-op. Now, I had this happen with one of my deals, and he said, no, you know what? I don't like this door. This balcony door is condensation. I want $10,000 for this door, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, buddy, what are you, what are you talking about? You're not getting yeah. $10,000, he's sassing. We got $10,000 for a door because that listing was up for, I don't know, 90 days at that point, and the sellers had to move out. They were going wow. to the burbs. And so you see these things and they're going to continue happening mm -hmm. where you have a buyer, a knowledgeable buyer that's going to say, look, you know, I, I, I really know that there's no second deal behind me, right? Because every broker says there's a second deal behind there. Yeah. Maybe there is, maybe there's not. Um, and also on the flip side, it's taking a long period of time for due diligence to get done. Inspections are happening in places they wouldn't anymore. Yeah. And on the flip side, if, if I can just mention what's happening deeper into Brooklyn, yeah. right? Go ahead. Yeah. Developers did a great job. South Brooklyn is mm -hmm. becoming more of a thing now. And in South Brooklyn, you have families that have been there for 40 or 50 years. When you say South Brooklyn, you're referring to like Sheepshead Bay, or are you she, talking You can like go into Midwood, okay. you can go uh, Midwood, really. Uh, Bed-Stuy is not really South Brooklyn, yeah. but in Bed-Stuy, this is happening. Um, in Stuyvesant Heights, this is happening. And so what, what's happening is the market went up for years and years and years. Land costs went up. So for a developer to make X in a specific building, they have to cut corners. And many of the cut corners that they're actually using now or exposing is the fact that they're not getting permits for the work that's being done. Right. So they'll gut a place right. and they'll say, beautiful place in Bed-Stuy, $1.5 million, where the going rate's 1.8. And so you have these buyers that are flooding in. Right. Guess what? They rent out the place and didn't do permits. And if an attorney worth their own weight is checking this and they should be checking this on DOB. And right. by the way, so should brokers before they show a place, right? Or before an offer is actually submitted. Check DOB. Check DOB, see if there's any permits that are outstanding. List. Right, exactly. <laughs> Add to the list of things that are there yeah. to make sure that there's no open permits that are there. Or if they see a listing which is completely gutted, why aren't there permits that were actually filed in the first place? Then an attorney is going to catch that and go, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. How do I know what you just did with this place? Right. Because there's enough horror stories. That's killing deals. Do deals still happen? Sure. But you have, again, educated buyers, mm -hmm. educated lawyers that are doing this. You need to, you really need to have a better grasp like, of the, the, 
behind the deals themselves, what is actually happening? What is the education that you need to know as a broker? Do you know how to use the DOB site? Do you know how to use Department of Finance? Do you know how to check for a 421A exemption? Right. Do you know how to do any of these things? Do you have a contractor on call where you could say, this is what kills deals too sometimes or slows them up. If a buyer gets an inspection done, mm -hmm. cool. How the hell do we know what that costs to repair? Yeah. Right? So you have a contractor on call that you can turn to and say, hey, you know, I have a great one that I work with all the time. Hey, Mike, um, what is this going to cost to repair? And they have a conversation with the client and they say, look, you know, here's what it's going to cost. And the client will come back and say, I want $50,000 off or I want $60,000 right. off. How realistic is it? Daniel, this is great stuff. We're, we're running out of time here, so i got a final question. Uh, I just was thinking about this. Um, you're privy to a lot of um, um, contracts that are, that are pending and, and, and loans that are getting appraised. Um, are you seeing anything on the appraisal side? Appraisals are, and again, it's a, it's a slice, it's anecdotal, so it doesn't have to be market-wide, but right. you're seeing a lot of appraisals that are coming in, or at least I'm seeing enough appraisals mm -hmm. coming in low that I wasn't seeing before. Enough, okay, like, could you give a percentage? Let's say five to 10%. Okay, that's, that's a notable number. It's a notable number where usually it's Usually it's like 1% or something. And it could yeah. just be the deals that, that I'm doing right now where the, the purchase price that they agreed to is too high or God knows what. And what's going on in those deals? Are they, are they further negotiating? Or yeah. Yeah, the sellers have to get, so the, the, many of the sellers are motivated to get the hell out of the city because they're living in a two bedroom, two bath of a thousand square feet with three kids and yeah. they're about to get divorced. And so what, what's basically happening is, and rightfully so, what's basically happening is they will agree to lower numbers because if you contest an appraiser and have an appraiser come in again, the delta that you're seeing between what the purchase price is and what it appraised for yeah. is too wide. So sometimes they'll meet in the middle, sometimes they'll figure out a way to actually make it work. The deals generally don't die. Okay, gotcha. So you're finding that they're making it work. This is really, really deep stuff. This, this is, is great stuff. We're running out of time. Thank we'll bring you back. We'll bring Please, you back because yeah. i got a lot Please. of stuff. Round Daniel, two. what's that? Coming back for round two. Round two, absolutely. Tomorrow morning. Daniel Gershberg, thank you so much for being here. This yes. is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We are Talk in Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, guys.